0: We have a rich heritage in this church of ours. It's good to remember it from time to time and consider all that God has done among us. Eventually, we're going to make our way to Matthew 16, verse 13. So if you wanna turn there in your Bibles in the meantime, we'll arrive after a little bit and at that particular point, we'll stand and read. But I just have a few observations to make before we arrive there. You know, when you gather with your family at holidays, there are stories that get repeated again and again that um, we don't ever know which ones will get repeated, but some are pretty constant. There's, There's a story in our family that has the ring of legend to it, but my mother promises it's true. One year... In the days leading up to Black Friday shopping, after the ads had appeared in the local newspaper, two of my aunts began tracking a particular television model they each wanted to buy. I should add as an aside that my mom, who is one of the Boffman women, that's her maiden name, are known for being loud. Apparently, these television sets were on deep discount, so my aunts went to the store a day early so they could track the fastest route from the front door to the shelf where the televisions were located. The next morning, they were at the doors of J.C. Penney's at 6 a.m., in line, waiting for the doors to open at 9 a.m. At nine the doors opened and some guy near the front of the line hip-checked my aunt, who was none too young, causing her to fall on the floor and her purse to break. She immediately began to scream. She began to howl for help, but my other aunt was undaunted by this hockey move. She sprinted to where the televisions were and grabbed one, when at the same moment, another man grabbed the tag off her TV and ran to the front counter to pay for it. The second aunt began to scream for security to come. Between the two of them, they made such a fuss that the manager came and asked them both to quiet down and please leave the store with the promise that he would have televisions to deliver to their homes if they would just be quiet and leave. (laughs) Of course, this was in the days before Black Friday was online or before Amazon would deliver the TV to your house anyway. Back then, Black Friday shopping was a full-contact sport. And I'm glad those days are over. Or are they? I'm wondering this morning how we evaluate the traditions that we observe or do we evaluate them do they just repeat themselves or are we purposeful or thoughtful about them the scriptures matthew 16:13 i would invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel Matthew 16, beginning in the 13th verse. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Lord Jesus, add your blessing to the reading of this word. Amen. Maybe see that. This is the first time in Scriptures that, that Jesus is clearly identified as the Messiah by his disciples. John, his cousin, the baptizer, Has already called him the Lamb of God but not everybody heard John and fewer understood what John really meant now Jesus answers Peter's confession by affirming that it was God the Holy Spirit that revealed this truth to Peter for all those people who say that Jesus never really claimed that he was God pay attention to this passage this is Jesus saying he is God. He is affirming that Peter has it right—that Jesus is God's Son. Peter will answer that question again on the day of Pentecost. Who is Jesus? He he asks, and rhetorically answers for the crowd. And this time, when he answers it, it's as if he's answering with greater confidence. This is what it says in Acts two thirty-six. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter has seen some things by the time he answers the question the second time. He has seen Jesus enter Jerusalem as a king. He has seen Jesus humiliated, scourged, and crucified. He has seen the burial place of Jesus. He has seen Jesus alive. He's talked with Jesus on the beach when Jesus restores him to service. And he has seen Jesus ascend into heaven. So now with greater assurance and greater confidence, he proclaims Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. Jesus himself claimed to be Messiah. If you look at Mark 14, 61, when Jesus is being Questioned by the high priest. This is what it says. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. You can't misunderstand those words, can you? Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? I am. And now, Peter affirms, the resurrection of Christ means that everything Jesus has claimed would happen is true, that his promises are true, that he is utterly reliable because he is God's son. Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and the son of the most high God. He is Lord. The author of the Romans uh, epistle writes this way. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved the foundational claim of Christianity is that Jesus is the Messiah of God the Lord of heaven and earth we could spend all day talking about who Jesus is we could talk about his role in creation We could talk about his his condescension, leaving heaven, coming here. We could talk about his incarnation, taking on our flesh. We could talk about his exaltation. We could talk about the fact that he is the, the living word of God, the logos, that gives shape to all of creation. We could talk continually about who Jesus is. We could just plain talk about Jesus all day long. There isn't any question about what we believe, about who Jesus is, or who he will always be. Am I right about that? Please shake your head like you believe. I've heard you recite the Creed. You've affirmed all these things I've said. This is who Jesus is. This is who we embrace as our Lord and Messiah. And so I'm wondering, here today, balanced as we are, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, Christmas, I'm wondering how the impact of who Jesus is has influenced your celebrations so far we've spent the last ten weeks or so uh, talking about what life in the kingdom of God ought to look like under the reign of Jesus Christ we've talked about worship we've talked about training to live godly holy lives We've talked about the importance of serving others from a heart of love. And then Black Friday rolls around and we're forced to confront how we deal with the clash between what everyone around us is doing, which is mostly consuming as much as possible, and what the Messiah of God asks of us. And I'm wondering, have you asked yourself these questions how did the holiday traditions we observe in our family get started what is the point of what we do how important are these traditions of ours what are we going to spend our time doing how will the lordship of Christ be expressed in the things that we do over the next month or so? Are we purposeful about what we will do? Or do we just feel like we're in the current of some mighty river that's just pushing us forward without any options or of our own? What difference? does the fact that Jesus is Lord make in these traditions of ours? Traditions are such funny, funny things. (coughs) You know, Nancy and I have been married for 37 years now. And I still remember back to that awkward time when we were dating and announcing that we were planning to marry and the holidays where you've always been with your own family but now your loyalties begin to be divided and now I know I gotta show up at her family celebrations and her traditions aren't like my traditions and I'm not comfortable with all that they do and and she's not comfortable with everything that we do and then we marry have our own kids and we get to decide Which traditions are we going to borrow from here? And and which traditions are we going to borrow from here? And and who are we going to be as our own family? and, And and what do we want our traditions to say? And traditions are funny, funny things. You know, there are there are some religious traditions that were rejected by our founding fathers and mothers. For example, in some traditions, when entering the sanctuary or passing in front of the cross or crucifix, you either bow or genuf- genuflect. This this tradition was understood as a statement of faith, a a physical proclamation that Christ was king. Very respectful. In, in some traditions, there is consecrated water at the entry door. A finger is dipped in the water. The sign of the cross is made. And it's meant to remind us of the vows we made in baptism so that we can remember that we were redeemed at a price and that we have an obligation to what we promised to this Jesus who is our Lord. Our Nazarene tradition rejected much of the formalism of other traditions that were around 110 years ago when we were formed. And the reason for the rejection at that particular time was this. It's so easy for rituals to become empty. It's so easy for forms to lose their meaning. And the signs become meaningless to the people who observe them. And our forefathers and mothers Didn't want us to rely on signs or rituals or symbols or traditions for our confidence They wanted us to rely on a lively dynamic daily relationship with the Holy Spirit for our confidence and So they turned their back on much of the formalism and ritual that other traditions embraced Signs that other traditions appropriated to remind themselves that Jesus was Lord and Said it's going to be in your daily devotional practices in your corporate worship Practices in the investments you make in this daily dynamic Relationship with the Holy Spirit who fills you with love for others which is issued forth to the world around us That's where they placed their emphasis But here's the problem. When you do away with the rituals and the traditions, and you don't cultivate the daily relationship with the Holy Spirit, what do you have left to point you back to God? I mean, it's got to be one or the other, right? You either build traditions in your life to point you back to God, or you build practices in your life to point you back to God. But if you don't have these reminders, these signposts, because I don't know, maybe you are not likely, but my mind wanders. I get distracted. I have something come up in my life, and it captures my attention, whether it's an illness or a diagnosis, or someone gets mad at me for some reason, or something with my kids, or I don't know what, and I get distracted. And my first reaction, I wish I could say, it's always, I just turn to God in prayer. But as often as not, my first reaction is to worry. And we know how effective worrying is, like, like not at all. But it doesn't mean I'm not tempted to do it, and do it at times. And so, without the habit, the practice of a of an investment in a daily relationship with the Holy Spirit, I just keep worrying. I, I, I would just spend my time there. And that kind of stuff snowballs into all kinds of unattractive and unhelpful things. And so, so these traditions, these practices are really, really important. And, and I guess this morning I want to ask, what is it that causes you to remember, that points you back to the fact that Jesus is Lord when you're at JCPenney's or when you are online or when you're at school or at your desk, in your shop, in your home, during the whole day and especially during the Christmas season. Are you living as if Jesus is Lord of your life? Is the reign of Christ in you obvious to others? What choices will you make this Advent to demonstrate your allegiance to Christ? This is a passage from 1 Peter 3. But in your hearts revere Christ. As Lord always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander some translations render that first verse as in your hearts sanctify Jesus as Lord set him apart as Lord Every year here at MCN, we try to slow down the Christmas steamroller just a little bit. We try to give Advent, the season of reflection that precedes Christmas, a fighting chance to grab our attention and force us to answer questions about our practices before we jump off the holiday cliff. So even though next Sunday is the beginning of Advent, we'll pull back on the reins a little bit. And we won't sing Christmas carols on the first Sunday of Advent yet because we're trying to create space for this introspection, this questioning, this making sure that what we're about to do is Christ-exalting, does proclaim that Jesus is Lord, does reflect the true values of our hearts and of our lives. We always take about two weeks to pause, to consider, to catch our breath, to make sure that in all of our plans, Jesus is Lord, to make sure that in our giving, Jesus is Lord, to make sure that in all of our actions, Jesus is Lord. I really am convinced unless we plan to make that happen, it won't happen. This coming Saturday at the Advent banquet will kick off the season. I hope you'll join us. Before you arrive, however, I hope you will consider what it means to sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, to set Him apart as Lord. And I hope you will begin to make plans to demonstrate the Lordship of Jesus during this coming holiday season. I can't wait to see how you will do this.